This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. Ah, guten Erev Shabbos. What a very special month we're in. What a very special week we're in. And it's wonderful to be with you. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is 101.9 Chai FM. And we are approaching a very special double Shabbos. But it's in the time of the counting of the Omer. It's in the time of an incredible opportunity. There are seven weeks. Seven weeks between the second night of Pesach and coming to the festival of Shavuot. And there's something to do on absolutely every day between Pesach and Shavuot, which is specific for that day. And that specific thing to do is that every day we need to work on some aspect of ourselves. And the way that Omer sets it out, there's something very clear a clear, specific objective for each and every day because each one of us is blessed, each one of us who's alive, to be animated by two souls. There's a godly soul, but we also have a human soul, a human-animal soul. And the human-animal soul has an intellectual makeup, but also an emotional makeup. And we want to work with our natural soul in order to prepare for the receiving of the Torah at Sinai. Of course, when the temple stood, there was a ceremony to launch this process, and it was the harvesting of the Omer, a barley offering. That was the only time barley was ever offered in the temple. And even though we cannot offer up the Omer, we still begin counting at the exact time that they would harvest and prepare this offering. And what we are doing, we still begin counting at that time the 49 or 50 days of the Omer from that very day. What are we doing? We are making a bridge between exodus from Egypt and receiving the Torah at Sinai. And every year we relive on Pesach, Yitzias Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, leaving limitations, spiritual, physical limitations. And we take a leap. as the word Pesach, Pesach, he leaped over. And we also, at the other end of the seven weeks, have our annual Kabbalah HaTorah, our annual receiving of the Torah on Shavuot. So let's look at it more, a bit more closely. There, our nation was in Egypt. We were there, and we did not earn the Exodus. Hashem had to artificially give it to us. And he had to give us something in order to merit the redemption, at least in some small way, because we were so assimilated. There was very little difference at that time between us and the host nation, the Egyptians. 
So Hashem took the initiative and he pulled us out from our spiritual bondage, our physical bondage. We were not worthy, but we got out. But that's why the redemption didn't really transform the people in any lasting way. Because we didn't really do it on our own initiative or our own merits. So that soul, that human animalistic soul that we have remained unrefined. It had an experience, but despite the experience, it was not changed. Whatever spiritual arousal, whatever they were moved to at that time was actually outside of them. It was something they observed that happened to them. But that's why the spiritual effect of the Exodus was temporary. And the danger, the spiritual danger represented by Mitzrayim, limitation, narrowness, not expansiveness and opportunity and possibility, but really restriction, that still remained. And that's a spiritual danger for us when we don't get in touch with our possibilities. We don't get in touch with Hashem who runs our lives. When we think that what we see is reality and that spirituality is fantasy, it cripples us, it shrinks us, it limits us. And unfortunately, that danger still remained hovering on the people. In contrast to that, by the time the nation came to Sinai, they were much more prepared. What prepared them? Well, number one, actually leaving Egypt. And then there was a series of things that happened that were challenging for them that they had to push through. For example, the crossing of the sea. There was a sea in front of them, and they had to take the plunge, and it was scary. They had to believe. They had to believe that Hashem was telling them to go forward with love, not, God forbid, to anything difficult and negative, but to greatness, to expansiveness. And once they did that, there were other lessons. The clouds of glory that surrounded them taught them so much. There was manifest godliness that helped, but they went into a wilderness. They didn't really have food. They didn't have water. They had so little, and they soon ran out of their provisions. And each time they were tested in this way, and they, they went through that challenge of, don't worry, Hashem will take care of you. Each one of these experiences made them more and more ready for revelation at Sinai. There were lessons to be learned from the clouds of glory, from the manna, from the quails, from the well, all the incidents that they experienced while on the way to Mount Sinai. Every one of those experiences came together to ready them for revelation. 
And that's why revelation at Sinai was a lasting, meaningful revelation. It changed them. It changed us. It changed their children, their progeny for all time. Unless we go through something and we put in effort and we stretch ourselves to the challenge, we cannot change. It was at Sinai that they received the full manifestation of their godly soul, their divine soul. And the good news is that every year we personally, individually, and collectively in our Pesach, which is our annual reliving the Exodus, and in our Shavuot, our annual re-receiving the Torah, Hashem allows us to experience both. Pesach, a rebirth. Every year at Pesach, the nation is born. We are individually reborn. And just, it's like Hashem renews nature at springtime. And Pesach, of course, in the Holy Land, is at, a sp- at springtime. The Torah says it should be B'chodesh Aviv in the springtime. So every year, just like Hashem miraculously brings nature back to life after it seems to be dead in winter, Hashem re-inspires us at every Pesach He frees us from that wintry, depressing limitation and bondage that we all slip into. We tend to become slaves to the forces of physical and spiritual materialistic surroundings. We're surrounded. It becomes, that's the consciousness, that's the headspace. Our human animal soul limiting us. And so every year at Pesach, there's a rebirth. But like spring, it's wonderful. But if you don't plant anything, you cannot expect a real harvest. Pesach is largely Hashem's doing. It's a season that He creates. It's His festival. It's His gift because he gives a particular energy at a particular time. So Pesach cannot transform us in any lasting way. We have an animal soul, and the animal soul is stuck unless we do something about it. How can we do something? How can we inspire ourselves How can we make real changes? Well, at Sinai, on Shavuot, when we re-accept the Torah, we have that renewed commitment. We can only do it if we have prepared. And the way we prepare is through the counting of the Eimer. We are human. We need to focus on one small thing at a time. We need to focus concentrate, and set small goals. Our human animal soul is actually made up of both intellectual and emotional. And our animal soul likes what makes sense. It 
really does respond to the logical. It likes to be intellectual. So that's why that part, that half, is much easier to refine than the emotional part. What do you need to refine the way you think? You need to change the subject matter that you're studying. When we begin to study about godliness, we begin to study Torah, we actually refocus our souls toward godliness. And it's not that hard. It can happen. It can happen easily, maybe even in a day. But <laughs> to rectify the emotions of our human animal soul, wow, that's hard work. If we really want to change, if we really want to become different people, we're going to have to actually remold our emotions, not just focus them in another direction, put ourselves into a better environment. We need to create, through our behavior, new neuropaths. We need to actually know that if we change our behavior, we will change as well. So it starts with focusing on what do I want to accomplish and focusing on one little piece at a time. In our times, as mentioned, it is done through counting seven times seven, counting the days of the week, counting each day and seeing a particular a particular trait, concentrating on it, internalizing it, and elevating it. Because in the Torah it says, and you shall count for yourselves. Usfartem lochem. And the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir, Zaman of the Adi said, count the word usfartem. She has a root with you shall make bright. You shall purify. You shall refine yourself till your inner holiness shines. Until your inner true self bursts forth with great brilliance illuminating your entire life. And we've got to work on our seven aspects, looking at each one in a configuration with the other, until they can all work together. They combine until we are focused and unified in our efforts to do the will of God and in our efforts to refine God's world through our behavior. And so what are these seven paths? These seven paths are actually the paths through which God created and continues to create the world. The first one is love. Love, loving kindness, chesed, that is the foundation of the world. That is how everything starts. Welcome back. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is Chai FM. And we are talking about the counting of the Oimer, but we're talking about refining ourselves. We're talking about becoming sparkling. And in order to do that, it cannot be something superficial. We have to work at something and refine all the facets 
make ourselves bright until the inner holiness that we all carry shines out and it illuminates us, our lives. It brings such joy and clarity and it illuminates, of course, the world around us. We need to refine the seven emotional attributes of our human animal soul. We need to transform each facet until eventually the entire structure that we call ourselves is something which shines and sparkles beyond, beyond imagination. So it begins with chesed, loving kindness. Loving kindness Love, it's the most important, powerful, necessary component in life. It's the origin. It's the foundation of all human interactions. It's the ability to give and to receive. It allows us to become bigger than we are, to reach above and beyond ourselves to experience another person and to allow them to experience us. But it's the tool by which we learn to experience the highest reality, Hashem. And that's the first week, the week of loving kindness, the week of chesed. The second week is the week of gevura. Gevura is, well, severity. If love, chesed, is the bedrock of human expression, discipline is the channel through which we express our love. Discipline, severity, holding things back, gives our life and our love direction and focus. It's like a laser beam. Its potency lies in the focus, in the concentration of light in one direction rather than fragmented light beams dispersed all over the place. Givura, discipline, measure. It concentrates, it directs our efforts, our chesed, our love, in the proper directions. And another aspect of givura is respect and awe, which we will speak about. Healthy love requires respect for the one you love. And that's the second week, but we'll look at it more closely. The third week is the week of Tiferet. Tiferet is beauty. And it blends, it harmonizes that free outpouring of love, of chesed, with the discipline of Gevura. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Compassion. Mercy. It's a combination, a blending of colors. The fourth week is the week of Netzach, and we're in that week. And the week of Netzach is the week of victory. Victory, how do you get there? It's a combination of determination, tenacity, endurance, ambition, Patience, persistence, guts. It's an amazing trait 
being accountable, reliable, which of course then would establish security and trust, security and commitment. Without endurance, any good endeavor or intention has no chance of succeeding. And it's about the things we believe in. And we need to ask ourselves, how committed am I to my values? Would I fight for them? Am I easily swayed? What price am I ready to pay for my beliefs? Is there any truth for which I would be ready to give my life? So much to think about. The fourth week, the week we're in now. And the fifth week, the week of Hod or Hoid. Thanksgiving, like Modeani, Hodaya. Wow. To understand and be grateful for the presence of God. To know that without Him, we aren't alive. We don't exist. The world isn't here without his constant input and creative power. It's an amazing, amazing point to come to. All the love and the discipline, all the beauty, the compassion, the mercy, the endurance, the fortitude. Where does it come from? We need to be cognizant of, understand that the splendor, the hoid, this incredible world that we're in, to be thankful, to be grateful. When you're grateful, it changes everything. And when you're grateful for a reality that you can't always see, it makes you grow. The sixth week is Yesoid Foundation. Foundation? Foundation. Foundation is at the bottom of all these five. It's number six. It joins them all together. But it's thinking about what is the foundation of all of life, of creation. It's truth. Truth. Understanding that this truth must pervade absolutely everything. If it's true, it must be true for all things, all people, or places, all times. And finally, number seven. Number seven is Malchut, kingdom. Malchut, nobility, sovereignty, leadership. Malchut is an incredible thing because it's only when love and discipline, compassion, endurance, and humility are properly channeled into the psyche through foundation, through bonding. Then the result is royalty, nobility, malchus. When we truly bond, we truly seek truth and live truth and aspire to truth in everything that we do, It nurtures us, and it allows our sovereignty, our kingship, to surface and flourish. The seventh week doesn't have anything of its own. It is the receiver. It is the receiver of all the other emotions that are funneled through, you through truth. 
It's an incredible thing, this malchut. It's a sense of belonging, of knowing that you matter, that you make a difference, that you have the ability for leadership, that you can contribute to this world. It gives you independence. It gives you confidence, a feeling of certainty, responsibility, and authority. It's an amazing thing. Rabbi Simon Jacobson says, when a mother lovingly cradles her child in her arms and the child's eyes meet the mother's affectionate eyes, the child receives this message. I am wanted and needed in this world. I have a comfortable place where I will always be loved. I have nothing to fear. I feel like royalty in my heart. That's the kingship we're talking about. So what happens? The names of these weeks, the names of these emotions, loving kindness, severity, beauty, victory, thanksgiving, foundation, and kingdom, we experience them in our inner emotions. We experience loving kindness as love, ahava. We experience the severity as fear, yira. We experience the beauty as mercy, empathy, the victory as confidence, the thanksgiving as sincerity, the foundation as truth, and the kingdom, amazingly, humility. True humility is not putting yourself down or thinking you're nothing. It's an awareness of the Creator, a gratitude for being part of His plan to make this world a dwelling place for Him. And these are the wonderful days that we go through. In week one, the days go like this. Day one, kindness of kindness. Day two, kindness of severity. Day three, kindness of beauty. Day four, kindness of victory. Day five, kindness of thanksgiving. Kindness of foundation, kindness of kingdom. Because it's very wonderful to be kind. But all of our kindness and love needs to be tempered in order that we are a balanced person. And each one of the midas. Week one, kindness of kindness, severity of kindness, beauty of kindness, victory of kindness. What's the thanksgiving of kindness? What's the foundation of kindness or the kingdom of kindness? And they need to be examined in every single way. And then, of course, how kindness will affect all of the other six. It's an incredible, incredible journey. And I would recommend Rabbi Simon Jacobson's book, The Counting of the Omer, which casts some wonderful insight into this journey. So we're speaking about traveling. Every day is a very clear objective, and that's to work on, to refine one aspect of our human animal soul's emotional side. And when we do this, our soul actually matures spiritually, emotionally, and is ready to welcome that renewed revelation which takes place every year 
on Shavuot, when Hashem again gives us His Holy Torah. But we don't want to be caught unawares. We want to prepare. We want to be there in our full selves. And so, let's remember that incredible story. The story that tells us it's not only what we do, it's how much we put into it. It's how much of our love and our focus and our care we put into what we do. We must remember that in our times, love is really the preferred method of reaching, of building not only ourselves, but others. There's a story told of a chosid of the Alt Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe. His name was Gavriel. And Reb Gavriel had a shop. He had a lovely wife. Her name was Chana Rivka. And they did well. They gave a lot of charity. They were well-liked people. One pain clouded their their days, and that is that they'd already been married 25 years and they didn't have a child. Whenever there was a need, when funds were being raised for something important, Reb Gavriel enjoyed giving. He welcomed the emissaries of the Rebbe who would come for a particular, a particular charity. Very, very often it was to redeem Pidyon Shvuyim, to redeem someone who had been falsely accused, thrown into jail. And then the Wheel of Fortune turned. Reb Gavriel lost his money, wasn't doing well. And when the Rebbe's messengers came, he was not able to give what he usually gave. He was so down. It worried him so much, it bothered him deeply. When his wife saw him in that state, she asked what was going on. And he told her, I wasn't able to give, and I'm heartbroken. Now, the reason he'd lost his money was persecution from the authorities. And when his wife saw how much this meant to him, he was so heartbroken, she did something about it. She sold some of her jewelry and she gathered the coins until she had the sum that Reb Gavriel would normally give to the Rebbe. But before she gave it to her husband, she actually sat and scoured and rubbed and scrubbed every coin until each one shone brilliantly. And as she did that, she was praying that their luck should also begin to shine. Reb Gavriel went and took the coins to the Rebbe, and when he saw them, he said, Of all the gold and silver vessels in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, the copper of the laver, the washing basin, was the shiniest, because the women donated it with joy and selflessly, he then said to Reb Gavriel, where did you get these coins? Ah, and the story came out. He was forced to tell the Rebbe about his difficult financial state. 
and what Chana Rivka, his dear wife, had done. The Rebbe then leaned on his hands, kept his head down for quite a while, and then he blessed Gavriel and Chana Rivka with children, long life, wealth, and chain, remarkable charm. He instructed Reb Gavriel to close his shop and begin to deal in diamonds. And from then, until he passed away at the age of 110, Gavriel and his wife enjoyed great wealth, honor, respect, and they had wonderful children. All the blessings came to them. We have to ask ourselves, scrubbing those coins... What did it achieve? It was still worth what it was worth. A ruble was worth a ruble. So the monetary value didn't increase. But by scrubbing and praying and the focus and the joy and the selflessness with which she donated those coins actually made their spiritual worth grow infinitely. And it was enough to bring down great blessing to change the reality. From having no money and no children, they everything changed. How do we change things in our lives? We need to make vessels for blessing. It's the joy with which we do things. It's the optimism. It's the love. It's the focus. It's the confidence. Let's look at these midas. It's the love. It's the fear. In other words, I don't want to miss the, this opportunity. I don't want to miss the boat. It's the mercy, the empathy, the confidence that God will help, the sincerity, the search for truth, the humility, which brings us incredible, incredible blessing. This week, the days are getting shorter. 23 minutes past five is candlelighting time. Tomorrow night, Shabbos will be out at 13 minutes past six. Tomorrow night is also a special occasion. It's called Pesach Sheni, the 14th day of the month of Iyar, a month after Erev Pesach. It's the day that's connected to second chances. It's never too late. We should never despair. We should start now. The custom is to eat some matzah on Sunday. It's Pesach Sheni, the second Pesach indicating that if you really want to, it's never too late. Then please, God, on Wednesday night and Thursday will be Lagba Omer, that special joyous day in which there's a break in the semi-morning of the Omer period, and we know that we're getting closer and closer to Shavuot. I wish you all a good Shabbos. Afrelich and Tomid.